This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. It, it's been a while, hasn't it, Gina? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a while. Listeners, I want to thank you for being patient. And uh, before we go into this podcast, well, one, we're going to be talking about fats and big fat lies around fats. There was a part one to this that I did with Tristan almost two years ago, and it's a really great podcast, but I want to kind of just go deeper into the the lies that we are told about fats. But but before we do that, I, I kind of want to give everyone a little bit of an update. I hope that's okay. Don't you think? Like, oh, yeah, um, it's been... It's, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've podcasted. And, and if, yeah. for people that follow me on Instagram, I'm actually, I haven't been on Instagram a ton lately. Like I, it's, it's been really hard for me to show up. And I, and I say that, and I share this because a lot of people have been following this journey of Tristan passing and what my process looks like as far as mourning his passing and how our family is trying to heal from it. And I want people to understand and know that healing is very, and mourning is actually very up and down. It, it, it comes in cycles. And so um, the past two weeks-ish have been a down cycle. And what I mean by that is a lot of emotion has come up. A lot of sadness has come up. And, and I want to talk about what that feels like in the, the human body, because I think the past year I've done so much healing, emotional healing, which has directed me to connection, like really deep connection with myself and my body that now I have to take cues from my body and listen to my body and have my body tell me how to be and what to do. So for instance, what does that look like? What does that look? Yeah. So for instance, in the past, the old me would just push through things and burn the candle at both ends and just push through exhaustion and push through sadness and just like stuff it all down. And that, that actually, and I, I did that my entire life and that literally led to me getting Graves disease, complete abandonment of my needs led to disease and, you know, and my body falling apart. Mm. And I had to learn how to heal that. But, you know, with the passing of Tristan I was, I, I was actually really scared that my graves was back, to be honest, because my body was under so much stress. But, but what it looks like right now is when sadness comes up, my body just wants to be still. It doesn't want to consume information. It doesn't want to produce content. It doesn't want to be in a creative space. It just wants to be still and sit in it, <laughs> like sit in the sadness and in the past, the past me would try to push through it and stay busy, busy, busy. But what everyone around me, my teams are learning right now is that I actually have to go at a much slower pace. So we're all just, as far as work goes and projects go and the podcast goes and Instagram goes, like everything just has to be slowed the heck down right now. Just to allow for the sadness to move through. This is the beautiful thing. And I shared this on Instagram. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm waffling. Sorry guys. But I shared this on Instagram that sadness, you know, it's the other side of the coin of emotions that we don't like to explore a lot because it can be very uncomfortable. But there's a gift to sadness. And that gift is the gift of slowing down. 
And so when the sadness actually comes into my body before I'd want to push it away and just go, go, go like an energizer bunny and like burn myself out. But the sadness forces me to just be a human being and not a human doing. And so I get to like Mm -hmm. slow and rest and feel and cry. And I ask my body, like, how do we move this through today? And sometimes it's hiking. Sometimes it's a hot bath. Sometimes it's just blasting music. And I can't do podcasts and I can't do posts and I can't be inspired by information if my body is trying to move something as big as sadness through me. It can't multitask, right? So what comes up is the sadness and so I, I have to move through it and I have to ask for cues from my body. How do we move this today? How do we handle this today? How do you want to deal with this? And, and it's not only my sadness, but it's the children's too. You know, I, and here's another thing that nobody warns you about when a spouse dies is um, I kind of went into this motherhood with this idea of this family, a husband and a wife, and we're raising children together. And now I'm this single mom trying to figure it out by myself. And it completely changes the dynamic completely. And so I don't have someone backing me up when I'm trying to instigate rules. I don't have someone reinforcing what I'm saying. I don't have like, it's me against two children. And a lot of the times I feel like I'm drowning because they feed off of each other's energy And now I am outnumbered. (laughs) Right. And so it is taking a lot of energy to try to re-navigate our family dynamic. And it's, it's very overwhelming. And so with not only just moving the energetic motion of sadness, and I call it energetic motion. You guys, I want you to get this for a second. E-motion. E-motion is energetic motion. And if you look at Einstein's equation, E equals MC squared, energy equals mass at the speed of light. And so energy is mass and mass is energy. That's, that's all it is. So we're literally moving energy, which is like this matter through our bodies. And so that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy to move energy, to move this mass out of you right? Is this making sense so far, Gina? Or am I like, Mm -hmm. do do you feel like listeners are, okay, people are not being lost right now. So on top of moving my sadness through me, this matter, this energy Mm -hmm. through me, I have to hold space for my children to do it too. And, Mm -hmm. and when I'm drowning in my process and they're in their process, it's a lot of processes. And so for me to be like, Hey, let me be inspired by an Instagram post today. Or let me talk about this. It's like, it's actually not happening. It's like, you know what? I have to go and move through this in the mountains. I have to go and work out. I have to just lay in bed and listen to music. And that is what, that's what morning looks like and feels like for me right now. And that's what it looks like and feels like for my kids. And um, we're in it. We're, we're just in it. And there's nothing, like there's no other way to heal other than to feel it. And so, you know. They, they talk about their sadness around it. They do, they like every day, it? every day. Oh. You know, they, they miss their dad. They, they miss this. They miss that. Yeah, you know. And then mm. the emotional outbursts, those are constant, you know. And then they like bursting oh. at each other. You know, it, it's a lot, you guys. And so yeah. that's why, you know. Gina and I last week tried to record this podcast and I just told her, I'm sorry, I'm not in this. Like my, my head and my heart are not here. It's like, I actually just need to 
be silent and sit down and do nothing today because doing nothing is actually doing work. It's like feeling the feels and, you know, and everyone tells you, everyone says that time heals all wounds and that's actual, that's actually bullshit. Healing heals wounds, right? Like you can't just sit and wait for the emotions to go away. They're not, you have to move them. You have to heal it. You have to feel it. You have to move it yourself. You can't run away from it. I tried to do that the first month and it didn't work. It came back and so bit what, me is that, what would you say that that means? Like, how do you heal something that, you know, you can't change the situation? So right. what, what does that like mean to you? I love that you asked that. You heal your relationship to it. So mm-hmm. I got a, a huge download yesterday. A big thing this week for me was actually turning in Tristan's car. I don't need to pay for two cars mm-hmm. anymore. I just need one. So I was driving his car and I was just sobbing, you know, because this is the last time I'm going to drive his car. And uh, the, the, the thought that came to me was this sadness will actually never go away and it's never going to go away because the missing of Tristan is never going to go away. Like, because my love for him will never go away. So I have to change my relationship to this feeling and make peace with it. And so to answer your question, what does that look like? Um, Healing means that you just change your relationship to the situation for me in this space. Mm-hmm. And I, and I have to live with the sadness and be happy. And I love, this is something Britt Lefko taught me. She's like, um, because I was telling her how um, all this sadness was coming up. And she said to me, Janique, I've noticed that you try like in a beautiful way, you try to connect with Tristan through presence, like being in the present moment and through gratitude. And she said, you can also connect with him through your sadness. And when she Mm -hmm. said that, like I just bawled, you know, because I can have gratitude and be sad. I can be thriving and struggling. I can be working on projects and exhausted. It's that and it's okay. And, and that is part of being human. That's part of the human existence is experiencing the full spectrum of all of these emotions and knowing there's enough space for it. There is space for my sadness. There is space for my joy and my elation. There is space for my emotional outbursts. There is space for me wanting to numb out. There is space for me moving on without him. There is space for me not wanting to move on without him. And so I just have to reframe how I interact and what, how much energy and space I give to all of these emotions. Right. And so when the sadness comes up, it's like, oh, hi, old friend. I'm missing Tristan today, you know? Yeah. And then you just, you just feel it and you move through it and then you get back to happiness, right? It always comes. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers the question that. Yeah, it does really beautifully. It's, it's amazing that being in all of that grief, you can have that perspective. It's, It's really amazing. Right. And you know, and it is a lot of grief and there's so much celebration. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like these two opposite ends of the spectrum. And like, there are days when I'm like, I cannot believe I'm alive. And then there's days where I'm like, I can't believe he's gone, <laughs> you know? And, um, and it's really, it's so beautiful. I'm so grateful that I get these opportunities to give myself permission to just slow the heck down and just be in it. 
and give myself permission and no one <laughs> and no one can fight me on that <laughs> right like yeah. i have the best excuse in the world and isn't that sad that it's like we live in a day and age where literally just slowing down to feel and yeah. heal there's a little bit of shame around that it's like well i'm wasting time no you're not wasting time yeah. you are being a human you yeah. are healing, like slow down because this pace that we, and this pressure that we put ourselves under and in is not good for our nervous systems. It's not good for our bodies. It's not good for our souls. I was watching a, a clip from Dr. Gonzalez. He has a great podcast called Heal Thyself. And he interviewed someone who was saying, try for 10 minutes a day, just being still. And he's like, it's almost impossible for people. We are so disconnected from our bodies that you just being in your body will bring up anxiety and you'll want to distract yourself and you'll want to reach for a phone. And this is the day and age that we live in where we can't stand being still in our bodies. Like, can we get that in our brains for a second? Like, how odd is it that it is hard for us to be human and to be still? Mm -hmm. And look how important it is too that your kids get to see you grieve versus like them learning right. well, when we have emotions, we just throw ourselves back into work and exhaustion. Right. Like they're seeing everything that you do and they see that you're nurturing yourself and that you're sad and that you're taking care of yourself and yeah. you know, you're not just like, okay, everybody's fine. We're all fine. We've got it together. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, and and here's another thing that I want people to understand too, is I'm receiving a lot of help throughout this process. I'm not, I, I can't do this by myself. I absolutely can as a single mom, a business owner. So what I've done is I've hired a family systems coach to help us navigate our new family dynamic, you know, because my children need a lot of time and a lot of presence. And sometimes I just can't give that to them. And so hiring people to help us figure this out and navigate their needs and what is realistic has been crucial. I'm going to get them in therapy soon. So, you know, that's because I, I, as their mom, actually need to be their mom and not their therapist. And so we need to take that pressure off of ourselves and outsource to those that are the experts. And so for other people that are mourning, if you are overwhelmed, yeah, like, yeah, because mourning in itself is a full-time job. So if you have the means, absolutely get people to, yeah. to help with the healing. You don't have to be all of it and do all of it. One thing that I've learned is, again, and this comes up over and over, is you cannot, you cannot serve from an empty cup. And mm -hmm. sometimes just mourning empties my cup every day. So how do I hold space for my children? Well, mm. thank heavens I have systems in place or people helping me put systems in place that support them until I'm okay again. And thank heavens that there will be therapists that will help them, you know, and thank heavens that there's family members and friends that can help. And, you know, and so you just take it one day at a time and just see it from bird's eye view that, you know, this is a process and it's a learning, like it's literally a learning arena. I'm learning how to mourn and feel all the things and, it's been a beautiful teacher and it's been a hard one. And so I will keep sharing as I go, I guess. <laughs> anything like yeah, anything you. else? Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. So what I want listeners to know is we're still here and things just might be a little slow this year. Like, because I, I just need the end of this year to unpack and just be still 
And if I, if I have bursts of energy where I can post, I'm going to, if I have the bandwidth to record a podcast with Gina, I'm going to, but, um, if I don't, I I don't. (laughs) So I'm not going to push through and give you something that's half heartfelt because that's not how I roll. Like it's, I'm either all heart and soul in or I'm not (laughs) like it's both feet in, (laughs) not one foot. So people appreciate that. I'm sure. So with that being said, should we get started? Let's dive in. Let's start unpacking fats. You guys, let's, I want to talk, we, we want to talk fats and cholesterol because, um, Gina, haven't you seen like that people are so scared to consume fats and fats are so important and they are so healthy. And we've had this terrible, terrible 50 years of terrible science that has created this culture around low fat eating and fat makes you put on weight, et cetera, et cetera. And do you think we have time to go into the terrible science and research that got us to this mess in the first place? Yeah, let's go into a little bit of it. Okay. Sure. So back in the fifties and sixties, there was this researcher called Ansel Keys and he demonized fats by doing it's, it's research on Epidemiologic. epidemiological. Thank you. Thank you. Epidemiolo- yeah. He did an epidemiological uh, research on populations. And his hypothesis was people that eat high fat die younger. And if anybody knows anything about research, epidemiological studies are not that awesome. <laughs> like, do you want to say anything about epidemiology and stuff? Well, you know, basically you're just making associations. There's yes. so many factors. I mean, you're basically looking at a population over time how they live their life. And then you're saying, you know, you could say like, well, based on looking at all these factors, we could see that people who, you know, wear seatbelts, you know, they also tend to have, you know, we also see these people have moles on the right shoulder. So maybe we'll guess that wearing seatbelts creates a mole on your shoulder. It's ridiculous. There's so many different mm -hmm. uh, factors that play a role. It's not controlled. You're just making associations. It's the most uncontrolled study you could ever, ever produce. And the thing about nutritional studying is there are just so many factors that come into play. So many. And so we always need to look at things with like very loosely, especially when it comes to epidemiological studies. And again, this is done in the fifties, right? Like how many resources could they have had back in the fifties? Anyways, this poorly conducted study led to another study back in the seventies that medical companies conducted and they had 12,000 participants. And out of the 12,000 participants, half were the control and half were the testing group. And basically what that means is that control group just went about their lives normally. The testing group, they were told to eat a low-fat diet with a medication. So the control group didn't change anything. The testing group, medication, low-fat diet. And they took these 12,000 participants, and after 10 years, they looked at the numbers again. And what they found was the control group, the people that didn't change anything, they were 71 deaths amongst 6,000 people, all right? That's not a, okay, hold on. Let me move on because with the testing group, there were 68 deaths. So out of the two groups, there was a difference of three, all right? So out of 12,000 participants, that difference between the control and the testing were three deaths. How statistically significant do you think that was? Because 
pretty bad. So bad, right? Like so awful. Like those, like someone could have like died in a car accident or something and it had nothing to do with nutrition. However, medical companies went berserk and they said, look, low fat and medication saves lives. And that was the backbone of what we now have in diet culture and cholesterol medications. It's awful. No, it is beyond terrible. And so people have been low fat dieting for ages. And I feel like the past 10 years, we've done a really good job of unprogramming people and being like, hey, fat is actually healthy and carbs and sugar are actually not your friend. But there's still a lot of people that are hesitant to eat fat. And so I want to talk about what are some things to know about fat? Why is low fat dieting potentially really harmful for us? Let's go into like, what are inflammatory fats? What are really healthy fats? And what fats actually do for us? Maybe if we have time, we'll talk about labs and, you know, what we're looking for in labs. Because, yeah, we'll talk about that at the end if we have time, because we'll get a little bit more technical in the end. But Gina, why don't you tell people, like, why is it so important for us to eat fat? Oh my gosh, there are so many reasons. I I kind of don't really know where to begin. First of all, I mean, our, so much of our bodies are made up of fats. Right. So much of our brains, our, our hormones, mm-hmm. our lipid membranes, it, it's incredible. And I think when whenever we talk about hormones, you know, especially, we see so many people so afraid of cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And I think that especially in, you know, vegetarians and vegans who are tend to be afraid of, of cholesterol and the egg yolks. Right. And when you look at how hormones are made, it's that initial building block, right? Like cholesterol is the first thing that you need to make all of your sex hormones. It's literally the backbone. Yep. Like the chole- backbone. cholesterol is the backbone to your sex hormones. Yep. Keep going. So if you don't have <laughs> cholesterol, if you don't have adequate cholesterol, you just can't make enough sex hormones. You can't. And, and, and so a lot of people that do low fat dieting, and also I find people that I don't want to bash veganism at all, but people that tend to go vegan and they don't eat as much high cholesterol foods from like animal meat, their, their hormones will start to fluctuate and diminish. Some other things you spoke about the biphospholipid membrane for every single cell in your body. It has this biphospholipid membrane literally made of fat. Every cell in your body has fat. You guys, your nerves and your brain, it's 60, like your brain is 60% fat. All right. Mm -hmm. Like fat is crucial for everything. Let's talk about like how certain like fat soluble vitamins, for instance, are delivered to damaged tissues in your body. They're literally delivered in fat vehicles, right? Like Mm -hmm. chylomicrons, VLDLs, you know, like these little fat vehicles pick up fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K and deliver it to damaged tissues. In case we're, in case we're kind of missing you there on chylomicrons and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. What we're trying to say is if you're, if you're not eating fat, you're not absorbing your vitamins A, D, E, and K. You have to have fats in order to absorb those vitamins. So if you're eating a low fat diet, like some people are even taking their vitamins, you know, on an empty stomach in the morning, Mm -hmm. you're not absorbing those A, D, E, and K. Those are just gone. Right. You have to have fats in order to absorb it and then transport it to those damaged tissues. Exactly. So in order to have hormones in order to heal and repair, 
fat is necessary in order to have healthy neural tissue and brain function. You have to have fat. So where did we go wrong? One, we had this research. Two, unfortunately, what doctors have done over time is the cholesterol levels in labs keeps getting pushed down and down and down. And so what is what used to be normal range back like 100 years ago, it's been pushed down like 50 points. So doctors are wanting you to have lower and lower total cholesterol. And that's really not indicative, like it's really not helping our health in any way, shape or means. One thing that doctors also do as well is they don't look at like a full lipid panel. They'll just look at your total. Have you noticed that Gina with your people where oh, they're like, yeah, and, and like, and it drives me nuts because you guys, it's terrible. It's so terrible because so when I look at lipids, when I look at people's labs, I look at LDL, HDL, VLDL, triglycerides, and doctors won't look at that differential. And the differential tells me everything because if you, oh, I feel like we're going to get a little too technical, but don't let, if, if you're getting labs, just make sure you're getting the differential because the differential speaks so much as to what your body is actually doing and how it's interacting with its fats. Are your fats inflammatory? Are they creating plaque? Is your body trying to heal something at an accelerated rate? These are all things a lipid panel can tell us. But when you're just looking at the total cholesterol like doctors do, you don't see the story. That total Mm -mm. is literally just looking at the cover of a book. But when you look at the differential, you're actually reading the story and you're saying, oh, this is this was the hero's journey. This is what's happening. So I can see what's happening in the body and like I can actually tell how people are eating according to that differential. So please make sure that, you know, your doctors are doing differentials and you're talking with someone that actually understands how to read that. But let's go into a little bit on like healthy fats and unhealthy fats, because one, you guys, the reason why fat is so incredible, and this is where we messed up over the past 50 years is fat. When you eat it is very satiating. Not only is it like desirable to eat, but it fills you up. And what we did in the past 50 years with this low fat dieting is we took out the fat, which fills you up and is very satiating and desirable. And we pumped in sugar because sugar hits that same pleasure center, but sugar actually makes you put on weight. Sugar actually destroys your liver. And so what we did was we took out the fat, we put in the sugar and created a bigger mess. But another thing that we did was we started Frankensteining fats to make them more shelf stable. Do you want to talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit, uh, Gina? Oh yeah. Well, I think some of the worst are the partially hydrogenated oils Mm -hmm. and Thankfully, a lot of them are coming out of our food supply now, but yep. it's still, you can still find it. You know, trans fats, they got so sneaky. They basically altered the structure so that it would be a lot more shelf stable. But what happens is those trans fats are really inflammatory, but they also block this process that takes your omega-3s and turns them into signaling molecules for your hormones, and it blocks that process. So it actually pushes it down an inflammatory pathway. Mm -hmm. So our omega-3s can be really healthy, or both of our omegas can be really healthy for us, but they can be pushed down an inflammatory pathway and actually block our hormone signaling. And so trans fats actually block 
uh, this enzyme from working in, in our omega pathways and create a lot of inflammation and a lot of damage in our bodies. So a lot of people don't realize that those partially hydrogenated oils, it's just a sneaky name. Instead of listing out trans fats, they took out the name trans fats because consumers were getting sneaky and they'd put partially hydrogenated oils in the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And then they would list on the front of a package, people started looking for trans fats and something would say zero grams of trans fat. But if, as long as it had less than one gram per serving, they could put on the label, zero grams of trans fats, but still have less than one gram per serving included in that food. And so why is that a problem? Well, what if your package has 56 servings in the entire package, you could end up eating 50, you know, 50 grams of trans Mm -hmm. fats. Right. And here's the thing too is, and you touched on this is this fat is literally something that was chemically made. They took a fat and they added hydrogen to it. So it's not even a natural product that you see in nature. And because it's something that you don't see in nature, your body literally doesn't have an enzyme that can break this product down. Your body doesn't know what to do with this. When you eat a saturated fat or an unsaturated fat or a polyunsaturated fat, these are all found in nature and in foods. When you're exposed to natural fats, not made by man, your body has enzymes and an ability to break those down and utilize them. When it comes to trans fats, something literally made in a lab, your body hasn't got any capability of breaking this down in your body. So it creates a lot of inflammation and a lot of problems. And like Gina was saying, it drives down, it drives certain pathways of inflammation in your body that are not good for healing and not good for hormones. So one, I think it is, Gina, correct me if I'm wrong. They've actually kind of outlawed and banned trans fats, but you can still see them in your food and they can still be used in restaurants. Have you heard of that? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not exactly sure the details of that law. I was just wondering that because it was banned, but I don't know if they maybe had however many years right. to get it put into effect or maybe if it was a state by state level mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure because, you know, for a long time, you've still been able to find partially hydrogenated oh, oils and those are trans fats. Mm-hmm. And if you are importing food from another country that has trans fats, it's still allowed. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So like there are wow. so many ways around this. And, and even though they're saying no longer allowed in foods, yeah, there is still a lot of ways in which we're still being exposed to it. Um, yeah. And so I just want to say before we move on yeah. from trans fats, some, some sneaky places that you want to look out for it that a lot of people don't think are things like microwave popcorn mm-hmm. or peanut butter, uh, some baked goods. What else? Lots of baked goods, right? Yeah. Um, it, mostly packaged foods. Yeah. And unfortunately, fast food. You know, there, it's really hard for us to like, I, I doubt anyone goes yeah. to McDonald's and is like, are you using trans fats to cook these chicken nuggets in? They're going to say, we have no, we have no clue. And it's, yeah. but if they did have a clue, it would be yes. Yes. They are cooking this in trans fats. Um, so just be mindful of restaurants. I can tell immediately a restaurant where I'm eating at, like I will be bloated. Like I can eat vegetables, but I will be bloated and I'll know it's because of their oils that they used. 
Like mm. it just tears up my gut. So, so that is, that's trans fats, you guys, that is hydrogenated oils. I want to talk about healthy fats though, because there, for so many years, people have thought like, oh my gosh, saturated. So there's saturated fats and unsaturated fats. Let's like, let's go into this. Saturated fats mm -hmm. are fats that are solid at room temperature. Whereas, so we're thinking butter, we're thinking duck fat, we're thinking ghee and tallow, coconut oil. These are all saturated fats. And then the unsaturated fats are like avocado oil, olive oil, nut and seed oils, vegetable oils. All right. So in the past, people have said saturated fats are bad. They clog your arteries, blah, blah, blah. But um, do you want to tell Gina, why don't you tell us why that's actually not true and why saturated fats are actually very stable fats. They're very healing. They're so good for your body. Do you want to Go ahead and dive into that. <laughs> I just keep putting you on the spot. <laughs> you, you go for it. You, you go into this. From, oh, you want me to explain it? Yeah, go well, ahead. Okay, so saturated fats are a very stable fat. They, it doesn't get oxidized. And so, and you can cook it at a really high temperature. And the beauty in that is that it's not going to be pro-inflammatory when it enters your body. Now, food sources, like I said, are like butter and uh, animal meat. And, and it's, it's really interesting to me because when people are trying to buy lean meats, I don't understand why. Um, because having fat in your meat is actually really fantastic for your body and your digestion. And Well, can um, I just say too, though, that there's... I just want to say there, there's a huge difference between yes. conventionally raised meat yes. and grass-fed meat because the fat is where animals store their toxins, just like humans. True. Humans store pesticides, toxins, we store in our fat. And so animals do as well. I'm so glad so you brought you that up. So if you are eating a lot of conventionally raised meat, you're going to be eating that fat that has yes. a lot of toxic substances stored in that animal yes. fat. If you're getting good quality, organically raised, grass-fed meat, it's going to be much better quality fat. And, Just wanted to say that. And I'm so glad you said that because conventional meat, when we talk about omega ratios, right? Omega threes to sixes. Yes. When yes. you are eating conventional meat, those, those ratios are are very pro-inflammatory. And like you said, there's not only is there toxic sludge that's stored in their fat, but they're also pumped with hormones. Like when I tell people, if there is an area that you want to make sure you are strict on, it is your meat, like your meat, because you, you are what your food eats. And so we have to make yeah. sure that if you are eating meat, make sure it's grass fed, grass finished. If you can get access to uh, regeneratively farmed, even better. Right. So that would be like the golden standard. But uh, grass fed, grass finished is probably really great, too. Um, Do you want to explain what that means? Regenerative? Yes. Regenerative. Regeneratively <laughs> farmed. So I'm actually going to I'll have my our producer, Kai, put in the show notes the interview that we did with. Oh, my gosh, I can't remember her name, but she she wrote the book called Sacred Cow with mm. Rob Wolf. Oh, gosh. What was mm. her name? Diane. 
Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. But regenerative farming practices is, it's not like massive farming and and it like tears up the ground. What they actually do with these farming practices is it's like what they used to do in the olden days where cattle would move around. And so they are eating in one area and they're moving. And then the area that they were eating in is being re-fertilized by their poop and, you know, and it's getting good bacteria and it's being given time to grow back. And then, Mm. and so they're moving around. So it's, it's very like the carbon footprint is minimal. If not, it's, it's like a net positive because it is helping the agriculture and the, the plant species and all that. Uh, It gives them time to regenerate and grow. Whereas a lot of farming practices, these animals are on small lands and they're, they're literally depleting the lands and like taking up all of its substance. And so nothing can grow back there because it is so out of balance. She talks about it in great depth. It's really beautiful, but it's basically, it's eating meat that uses very ancient farming practices that doesn't take away from the natural resources of the planet. Cool. So it's, it's just more responsible, I guess. However, You know, like small steps, you guys, if you can only do like grass fed, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) Like just go with grass fed and then you can like research regenerative practices uh, later down the line. But eating saturated fats from healthy sources from animals is really, really amazing. They have high heating points. You can cook with higher temperatures. They're very stable, very healing, and they help you absorb your fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. So please make sure that you are getting these in. And should we move on to, okay, so that's saturated fats, unsaturated fats. That's your olive oil. Before we move on to saturated fats too, I just want to say like a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute. What about this, you know, coconut oil debate? Mm. Do I put it on everything or is it like, is it toxic? You know, what, what is it? And so I just want to shed some, some light on that too, because it's not always a one perfect answer that, that yes, it's toxic and it's evil or no, it is like the fountain of youth and you should eat it on everything, put it on everything. Mm -hmm. And so one thing we have to notice is that sometimes when we sort through the research on coconut oil, sometimes you might see that for some people, it has no impact. It doesn't really change their blood lipid levels for some. It um, has a positive impact and for some, it can show a negative, unfavorable turn in blood lipids. Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of that is genetics. And there is a gene yes. aspect that plays a role with how well does your body handle fat right. and the amount of fats that you eat, the types of fats that you eat. So there is a genetic role. So keeping in mind that choose the better fats, have coconut oil, have some of you know the healthier fats, but change up your fats and, mm-hmm. and just yes. notice, like notice get a good blood panel done so you can actually see, you know, how are things changing for you and, you know, being open to modifying based on, you know, your body and and how your labs respond. And I've noticed that, you know, a lot with coconut oil that I think it really depends on genetics. And I love that you brought that up because I wanted to bring, there's something called familial hypercholesterolemia and it affects about one in 200 to one in 250 people. So your chances of having familial hypercholesterolemia is very low. 
So that's why, again, don't guess, test, right? And make sure that that's not you. I actually had a case the other day where she eats so clean and all of these things and like her, her glucose, her blood glucose and her insulin and her A1C look great, but her cholesterol was like through the roof. And I'm, and I told her, I'm like, you need to talk to a doctor about this, but I suspect you have familial hyperlipidemia. And in those cases, yes, you need to be really mindful. But again, that's one in like potentially 250 people. But going back to these fats, um, is there anything else you want to say about saturated fats, Gina, before we move on to unsaturated? Uh, No, I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, okay, perfect. But demonizing saturated fats is actually not helping us. These saturated fats serve a very important purpose. They are very tasty. If you eat these more and if you eat protein more, you're going to eat less carbs. This is what I tell people. When I see clients that have blood sugar, blood glucose issues and craving issues, I always ask them, what did you eat for breakfast? And a lot of times they're eating very carby things, you know, fruits and, you know, waffles with syrup or, you know, granola. And these are, these are high carb, high sugar things to start their breakfast with in the morning. What I love counseling people to do is eat proteins and fats and vegetables in the morning because that really stabilizes your blood sugar. It keeps you super satiated so that you're not hitting 12 o'clock or one o'clock and you're just craving candy and you're craving chips and you're craving something because when you eat carby sugary things in the morning, your blood glucose will spike, your insulin will spike, and then you're going to crash. So it's kind of like a big mountain peak with a big fall. But when you're eating fats and proteins, that stabilizes your blood sugar. So it's like a teeny tiny little wave and there's no crash after that. So I want to, I want to just kind of prompt people. And uh, if there's anything you take away from today, try to eat fats and proteins in the morning and see what that does to your mood, your blood sugar, your satiety. And satiety means like, are you satiated? Do you feel full? Do you feel like you've had enough? Like, what does that do for your cravings? Because fat is so amazing at keeping you satiated and full for longer without grabbing snacky, sugary things. Let's move on to unsaturated fats. So unsaturated fats are like olive oil and avocado oil, and they are liquid at room temperature. And you want to be mindful because when they are unsaturated, that means that they have some wiggle room for oxidation. And so if you heat them up too much or if you leave them out too much, uh, they will oxidize and then become very inf- and become inflammatory and problematic in your body. And so I think that the, the big mistake people make there is that they leave their olive oil sitting out by the stove right. where the sunlight is coming in, the mm-hmm. sunlight is hitting it. Very sensitive to heat, sunlight, yeah. oxygen. So yes. those, those gentle, delicate oils. I actually, when I started learning about unsaturated fats, um, becoming a nutritionist, I, I stopped buying the Costco size olive oils one because they're in plastic Two, they're not shaded or maybe they are now I, I stopped buying them. And I started buying small, dark bottles of extra virgin cold pressed olive oil that way, because if you are buying the big olive oils from Costco, then make sure you're refrigerating the majority of that. Mm -hmm. And you're just pulling out and keeping at room temperature that which you need for the next month or so, because Mm -hmm. it just existing and not being refrigerated, it's going to start oxidizing over time because entropy, right? 
So it's just naturally going to oxidize over time. That's going to be sped up because of heat and uh, sunlight exposure. So be mindful with your olive oils and your avocado oils. Make sure that they are cold pressed. Make sure they um, their extraction method is done very delicately because these are oils that will go rancid and oxidize. Now, I want to talk about other unsaturated fats from nuts and seeds. So we get like peanut oil and you get um, sesame or sunflower oil. And unfortunately, we're seeing like sunflower oil and uh, canola oil and all of these other unsaturated fatty oils from nuts and seeds and vegetables. We see them in packaged foods and these are actually very inflammatory. And I feel like snacks are like the worst culprit. So please, moms, like check your snacks are they, do they have sunflower oil? Because the extraction methods for which these oils are pulled out creates, it basically oxidizes the oil and it's not that good. Now, a question that I get asked a ton on Instagram is well, what about nuts and seeds in their natural form? This is the beautiful thing about foods in their natural form. The fiber and their, their like outer covering that acts almost like a preservative and it's not being heated. So yes, Oils in their natural state, like from nuts and seeds, like whole food nuts and seeds, those are great. You can eat those. Those will be fine. I also do recommend that if you're buying nuts and seeds that you can, if you can refrigerate them, put them in a refrigerator. I just did um, stories the other day where I was showing people natural grocers. Natural grocers is one of my most favorite places to shop at. And they actually refrigerate all their nuts and seeds. And I love, love, love that they get this, right? I Be saw that. That's awesome. Yeah. Because the majority of the time, like when you go to Sprouts, how long have those nuts and seeds, like when right. did they get harvested? In the bulk, giant bins. Yes. Yeah. How long has that been there? Four months, five months, 10 months, two years, yeah. you know, like nuts, it's like nuts that aren't that popular, like Brazil nuts, those, you know, those babies are not moving, you know? And so a lot right. of the times people like haven't tasted fresh Brazil nuts because they've probably been sitting on the shelves for months and months and months. What I recommend to people is eat your nuts and seeds in their whole food form, but do not get foods that have like nut and seed oils in them because that yep. extraction method actually damages the oil. It oxidizes it. It creates a lot of inflammation and then it's extremely unstable and then it's put in packaged foods to be sitting out on shelves for even more months. So, so just be mindful of those inflammatory oils. Anything you want to add to that? Mm, I don't think so. I feel like you've really hit that pretty good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else around that. There's one thing I want to say about canola oil, which is in everything. Oh my God. Mm. Um, so I actually posted, and oh, I wish I could find this. I posted an Instagram story, a repost of how it was some news network that went into it, like a canola processing company and showed us step-by-step step how they extract canola oil. And it was disgusting. It was oh. like this sludge that they, that they bleached and then bleached and filtered. And it was it, like, it was gross. I had so many people watch that and message me and they're like, I am completely grossed out. And I'm like, yeah, this is what we call food. You guys like we are, they are literally selling us the sludge that they have put so many chemicals in, including bleach to make it look beautiful. 
and it's not. Wow. <laughs> it's oh, <not>. gross. <laughs> Are there any other nuts and oils and seeds and fats that we should go into um, that you think we haven't covered yet, Gina? Hmm. The only other thing I could think of that some people might be wondering is like the omega-3s. Okay, Gina, do you want to explain to listeners what are the important things that we need to understand about omegas? Yeah, so I think the last aspect is the omegas and and specifically omegas three, what, I think three, six, and nine are the essentials, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Three, six, and nine? I think so. So essentials means that it has to come from the diet. Our bodies don't make it. And I think this is important to talk about because I know there's a lot of people out there who do who like, they will not touch seafood. They're like, no, I don't eat salmon. I don't eat sardines. I don't eat any of the seafood. And it means that, you know, those omegas, we have to get them from the diet. They make up a huge portion of our brain. They're so important for hormone signaling. So I think that this is really important. They really help regulate, balance out inflammation. We do actually need a little bit of those inflammatory pathways. Like Mm -hmm. the the omega-3s make a lot of our anti-inflammatory pathways and hormone signaling. Our omega-6s can also make some anti-inflammatory pathways. Um, like DGL is very anti-inflammatory. GLA is very anti-inflammatory. But it's all about the Uh, ratios, right? Right, right. It's all about the ratios. Mm -hmm. And then we do make some arachidonic acid, which is inflammatory from omega-6, but we do actually need a little bit of that. So it's really about the balance, not Mm -hmm. so much. We have to have more, you know, we have to have you know, this much omega-3s, but the balance of omega-3s, omega-6s. And we do need some omega-9s, which I think comes from like olive oil. When you mentioned arachidonic acid, Tristan loved arachidonic acid, especially when it came to vitamin D and vitamin D synthesis. So So when you said that, I just had this like massive flashback of him always talking about arachidonic acid. And yes, we do. Yeah, we do. So I just, holy cow, it just took me back like a few months. But yeah, arachidonic acid is so important. And that's an omega-9, you know, and it's so important for vitamin D synthesis. But again, if you if you are getting all of your foods from natural sources, nature put them in the right ratios. Man put them in the wrong ratios. So man-made foods have unbalanced omega ratios, whereas nature has balanced ones. And natural nature, right? Like cows that live naturally, not cows that are farmed and fed corn. You guys Cows don't naturally eat corn. They eat grass and they are force fed corn and grains. They're not supposed to eat grains and corn. That's why their omega ratios are so cattywampus. Again, like let's just go back to nature. Let's go back to the basics. Okay. So before we wrap this up, I really want to explain to listeners about labs and why cholesterol Mm. is so misunderstood. So everyone understands that, or everyone has been taught falsely that LDL is the bad cholesterol and HDL is the good cholesterol. So I want to give you guys a little bit of uh, an example or an, an analogy. So let's say you have children at home and they're playing baseball in the house and they hit a ball through a window. One window is broken and you have to repair your house now. So you send one truck to Lowe's and you pick up a new window and some tools to install that window and you drive that one truck back and you repair the window. So minimal damage, one truck, like not a big deal. Let's say a tornado now came and destroyed your house 
and you have to repair walls and roofs and all of these things. You are now sending 10 trucks to Lowe's to pick up material and 10 trucks are coming back to your home to heal and repair it. So in the human body, the trucks are the LDL. They are literally these transport vehicles bringing fat-soluble vitamins to damaged tissues. But what we have done, so, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So is it really the LDLs that are causing the damage or was the damage already there and the LDLs are trying to heal it? Unfortunately, great analogy. Thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, what doctors have done is they have correlated the trucks, the LDLs with damaged tissue and plaque buildup. And they're like, oh my God, it's the trucks. We need to get rid of the trucks. You guys, if we get rid of the trucks, who is healing the house? What is happening? <laughs> and so we're literally like carpet bombing these trucks on the road. We're like, goodbye, don't, don't come anymore. Don't deliver, mm-hmm. don't deliver healing with materials. <laughs> yeah, with statins. So we take these statins and we stop these trucks. I hope you guys are picking up what I'm putting down with this analogy. And yeah. nothing is getting healed and repaired. Yet the storms are still coming and the tornadoes are still coming. And I want to tell you what those tornadoes are. Those tornadoes are sugar, inflammatory food, inflammatory oils. It's, it's an inflammatory diet. All right. So who is healing your body if the LDLs are no longer delivering materials to heal your body? Now, this is where they were sort of right in their analogy. Okay. So let's say the tornado hit your home, right? We're sending 10 trucks to Lowe's. And for some reason, those trucks are coming back and they're delivering material but then the trucks are not leaving. No one's driving the trucks away. All right. So what is happening in the human body with the LDLs being built up is they come and deliver their healing molecules, their, their ADE and K to damaged tissue. But because of the high inflammation in the body due to substances like sugar, as they are delivering their healing molecule, their healing things, they are getting oxidized and they become sticky. And now the next truck comes and they try to deliver their molecules and their ADE and K and they get oxidized and they get sticky and stick. And then the next truck comes, the LDL, and it delivers its stuff. It gets oxidized and it sticks. And now we have this buildup of trucks in your house and it's creating this backup and it's creating this blockage. And now nothing is happening. So was it the truck's fault or was it the environment's fault? Because it wasn't the trucks. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's not the LDLs that are the problem. It's the environment that made the LDLs sticky and not able to unattach themselves. And that is what plaque buildup is. So you don't want to get rid of the trucks, you guys. You want to get rid of the environment that's causing those trucks to like crash into each other into the house. So if you want your body to heal and repair, you want to not get plaque buildup, stop eating sugar, stop eating inflammatory oils, stop eating inflammatory foods. Like that is what is going to cause the plaque buildup. You getting rid of the LDL is going to put you in such a deficit for life. You will not heal. You will not repair. You are going to have health issues like neurological issues and memory issues and joint issues. Like how many people are on LDLs that have joint and like arthritis and aches and pains all over their body? And I'm like, yeah, because you've literally destroyed the mechanism that heals your body in the first place, that delivers healing molecules and vitamins to these damaged tissues. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, for some people who are like, well, what is, 
how does that work? Like the fats versus, you know, sugar versus the inflammatory foods. And I like to think of it almost as like, think about your arteries when they're born. Like you have these Mm -hmm. beautiful, soft, supple, gentle arteries and think about sugar as like a very tiny little piece of glass. Yes. And every time you flood your arteries with this big influx of sugar, it's like you're rubbing these tiny little pieces of glass or sand up against your arteries, creating these tiny little micro tears. Mm -hmm. So then cholesterol's job is just to act as a band-aid, right? Just like Jenny said, like to to create the repair. So it's just going to come and try and patch up those tiny little micro tears. Right. So, yeah, I think that like removing the sugar, removing that damage makes so, such a bigger impact on cholesterol numbers or cardiovascular health so much more than just forcing the cholesterol to go low. Well, and let's take this like a step further. All right. Because, you know, these arteries and these capillaries, they, they dilate and they constrict, right? So constrict means they get smaller and dilation means they get bigger. So if they get bigger, we can get more red blood cells through these tunnels, right? More cars, the bigger the tunnel, the more cars can go through, right? So we want to dilate these blood vessel tunnels so that we can get more blood going through so we can get more healing and repairing and oxygen. But here's the tricky thing about sugar. All right. So there is something called nitric oxide that helps to dilate your, your capillaries. When you have an insulin spike, it inhibits nitric oxide production. So not only do you have these, like, do you have this glass, like Gina said, going through your capillaries, but because you ate that sugar, it has now inhibited your body's ability to make your, your blood vessel tunnels get bigger to allow things to move through it more easily. So now your blood is trying to squeeze through these tunnels all because of sugar. And now not only is your blood squeezing through it, but now those micro tears, those little pieces of glass, they're having a heyday down there. They're just destroying mm-hmm. everything, right? And now everything is squeezing through and things are getting more damaged. And remember, like those red blood cells in those vessels, they're moving really fast. So they're pushing, pushing, pushing. They like your blood vessels just need healing from the amount of traffic that goes through it. It's like, you know, why if you live in Utah, oh my gosh, the freeways are always being worked on, right? Like we, we joke and say that the 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 Utah animal is like the what is it? The, the orange cone, the, the construction <laughs> cone, right? <laughs> because that. That's so because there's always construction. When is there Hilarious. not construction on the I-15? Like there's always construction. So anyway, so your blood vessels are constantly under construction because there's so much um, traffic that goes through them. So we need to make sure that one, we're not spiking our insulin so that we're not decreasing our, our nitric oxide production so that we are having really healthy flow and we're not having this like backup of traffic in your blood vessels. So that is that. Another thing that I look for in labs. So this is why, this is why you guys, when you are getting your cholesterol checked, you don't want to just check total. When I see LDL is elevated, a doctor might see that and be like, I need to put you on a statin. But I see that. Remember the LDLs are the trucks going to lows. When I see elevated LDLs, my first question is where is the tissue destruction? What is the, why is the body feeling its need to heal something? Why do we have an increase of trucks going to lows right now? Because you should only have three trucks going to lows. Why do you have 20, right? Where, why are we picking up extra materials? The next thing that I look for are triglycerides because triglycerides, when they are elevated, that tells me people are eating a high carb, high sugar, high fruit diet. And so my people that are healthy that come to me, 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to get so much hate mail. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I apologize in advance. So when I have my healthy people come to me and I see their triglycerides are elevated and they tell me they're healthy, I say, okay, are you eating a lot of fruit? And they'll say, yes, medical meeting told me to. And I'm like, ah, and then I, then my next question is how are your hormones? And they're typically bad. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you guys even <laughs> eating a lot of fruit, what happens is people like they go nuts on fruit and fruit is still yeah. half fructose, you know, and then fruit is also glucose. So it's spiking your insulin, you know, your liver still has to metabolize it. You know, your body still has to metabolize fructose. And I'm not saying fruit is bad. I'm just saying fruit has to have its space, right? Where that's why I say only four servings of fruit a day, not 20, right? But people right. are juicing fruit and they're eating it for breakfast, right. lunch, and dinner. And, and you know, it's in smoothies. Yes. And it's in tons of smoothies, right? And uh, I always go on about smoothie ratios, you guys, like, Anyways, I'll talk about smoothies another time. I think something that's really common is people snacking on fruit as a nighttime snack, thinking right. it's a healthy thing before bed. Right. That I kind of see goes hand in hand a lot with blood sugar problems, cardiovascular problems. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that quite a bit. Right. And so I can I can totally see with their triglycerides, I'm like, you're eating too much fruit or you're eating too much bread or you're eating too many carbs or like there's too much sugar in your diet. And that is when you have high triglyceride, and low, so HDL is the healthy cholesterol, right? Everyone says, yay, HDL. But when you have, when you have low HDL, high triglyceride, that is indicative to me that your LDLs, you know, the trucks that are going to lows, they are being smashed into your garage. Like they are creating plaque buildup. So that is why I say you can't just look at cholesterol total. You have to, have to, have to read the book. You can't just look at the cover right? The cholesterol total is the cover of the book. You have to read what's inside the book. And so triglycerides, HDL, LDL, I got to see their ratios. I got to see what they're doing because that tells me the story of the body. And so you guys, we spoke about a lot today. <laughs> we, spoke, <laughs> we spoke about healthy fats. We spoke about unhealthy fats. My takeaway for you guys, my hope is that we don't demonize fats, that we recognize that we actually have a very unhealthy culture around fat. We've, you know, this low fat dieting is, is not good for us. And it was based off of some really bad research done in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies. And that when we eat the right kinds of fats that Gina and I spoke about, and when it comes to labs, like, please just recognize that there is a lot of misinformation around labs and under or talking to someone that can understand how to read your lipid panel is super duper important and understand that when you take this kind of information to your doctor, your mainstream doctor, they are going to think this is quackery. All right. So please just, under, just understand that. And that's okay because they, they have been educated in a very different field and it's not their job to know everything about your body. It's your job to know everything about your body. So hopefully this information was empowering. You learned something new about fats. Um, you're not too scared to eat fats. We should do a whole podcast on amino acids and proteins. Oh my gosh. I love protein, mm-hmm. but you guys, I hope you enjoyed learning about fats today and until next time. <laughs> I guess. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye. 